sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is brave. She is bold. She is bold. She is you. She is you. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is brave. She is bold. She is bold. She is you. You're tuned in to Word of Mom Radio here on the Word of Mom Media Network. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our show. We're an open book. My name is Chris McMurray. And I'm Gene McMurray. He's my husband. He'll be behind the scenes making sure everything is running smoothly. As always, I'll be telling you what I think all along the way. I have no doubt. On this show, we discuss those difficult situations that a lot of families go through, but are often not talked about. Here we will, because like we said, we're an open book. In our relationship, we've dealt with marriage, divorce, remarriage to each other, addiction, sobriety, losing a business because of injury, and the ultimate sorrow of losing our son. Yes, episode three is upon us. In the first couple of episodes, we talked about how we got to this point. Episode one, we described how our book, Live, Laugh, Lie, and how this podcast came about. Specifically, the stories about the lady on the plane and the loss of our son. Episode two was a follow-up of our first show. We got a lot of feedback from listeners who experienced loss and wanted to tell us about their walk through their personal experiences with grieving. And we came to realize that everyone's path is different. And we discussed some of the strategies that might help the grieving person and the people that support them. We covered a lot of ground. We sure did. Now let's talk about this episode. Well, today we're going to turn back the clock and talk about the beginning of our relationship and some of the ups and downs we faced. Yep, we're going to turn the clock way back to 1983 when we met and fell in love. Yeah, Duran Duran and Boy George were on the radio and Ronald Reagan was the president. Girls had big hair and big sweaters. Chernobyl and the AIDS crisis were in the news. There were no cell phones, and bottled water was not even a thing. Wait one second. If there was no bottled water, what did people do when they were thirsty? They would have to walk all the way to the kitchen faucet and where they would get their water. What if they were outside? That's no problem, because you had a garden hose that you could drink from. No, that makes sense. And cell phones, that's another thing. Whoever thought that people would walk around with a telephone in their pocket. No, we couldn't even understand that there would be a phone without a wire, and definitely we didn't see ourselves talking to friends as we're walking. Seems so long ago. It was so long ago. It was almost 40 years. Time flies when you're having fun, though. Of course, it wasn't all fun, because every couple who looks towards having a long-term relationship faces challenges. Two opposing worlds come clashing together. together. Are you talking about our families? I am. We came from two very different backgrounds. And they each had their own way of looking at things. What was your first impression of my family? Well, I met them all at your nephew's first birthday party, and everybody was very welcoming to me. That was a memorable night. Yeah, it was fun. There was a lot of laughter. There were family stories. I really enjoyed being there. And another thing that I liked was Sunday dinners. The food was always delicious, and I loved just sitting around the table talking, and it's how I really got to know your family. You know, my family always had an open-door policy. 
You never know who would show up for one of those Sunday dinners. And as long as there were enough potatoes, everything would be fine. Why were they so obsessed about having enough potatoes? Every week. Hey, you better put a couple more potatoes in the pot. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, our open door policy is a tradition that we happily pass along to our kids. We always had a lot of people in our house, especially children. And everybody was always welcome, and I always loved that about it. Now, what did you think of my family? Well, your mom was a great cook, that's for sure. And your dad was a big sports fan, just like me. I thought that that would be something that we could bond over. I guess we did a little, but they were also very private. They didn't really make me feel at home. In that regard, they were different than the, my folks. As the reading will show, though, they had reasons to be cautious. Well, you can be cautious and you can be private, but they also could have been more supportive and understanding and welcoming. Yep. Let's stop beating around the bush and get to the book. As we do in each episode, we'd like to read an excerpt from our book, Live, Laugh, Lie. This chapter is an overview of what life was like for us in our early days. You ready, Chris? I'm ready. It's all yours. Take Thank it away. You. This is Before Becoming a Couple. Before we were faced with Scott's diagnosis, our young family struggled to overcome another type of illness, addiction. I was 21 years old, right out of college, when I first met Jane. I was still living at home, an Italian Catholic home, where it was understood you did not leave unless or until you got married. Independence was never encouraged, and the thought of going away to college was out of the question. Likewise, having my own apartment. Community college and marriage were to be my goals. In reality, all I ever wanted was to be a mother. That was my main goal. So I went to community college and got my Associate of Applied Science degree in nutrition. I figured I'd work for a couple years until I got married and had children. That was just the way it was. Jean was 28 and we were both working at a nursing home in White Plains. I was a dietetic and he was a cook. At first we were friends. Most of the staff was young, single, and the group often would go out together after work. It was always a happy hour to go to somewhere. Jean and I had the same days off, so we would go skiing together as well. We spent a lot of time talking and getting to know each other. We had a similar sense of humor, and we laughed a lot. Within six months of friendship, we began dating, and we enjoyed movies, restaurants, and just being together. After about a year as a couple, we started to talk about our future. Jean was my first love, and I could see myself marrying him. During this time, however, alcohol was becoming a problem in our relationship. Usually when I went out, I was done after two drinks. Not so with Jean. Once he started drinking, he would not stop. When he drank, he was never mean or abusive. He was the opposite, actually. He would get all mushy and lovey-dovey, which would really annoy me. Sometimes getting up for work the next day would be a problem for him. That would cause an argument between us, and I started to worry about him. But typically, I thought I could fix it. I was 22 years old, and I really had no understanding of what alcoholism was. I thought an alcoholic lived on the streets. That was not Gene. He was kind and funny, and he loved me. He was not an alcoholic in my mind. Besides, wouldn't love conquer all? We would be fine because we loved each other. Looking back, I know that I definitely believed in fairy tales, 
thinking that we could live happily ever after. My parents did not like Jean, and they kept telling me over and over how wrong he was for me. Living at home was unbearable at times because of all the friction, largely created by our relationship. Fighting with my parents only made Jean and I grow closer. It became us against them. I wanted to prove them wrong. One night, after a little over a year of dating, Jean called me to say he was in the hospital. He said his blood pressure was very high and he really didn't know what was going on. He insisted that he didn't want any visitors. Crying hysterically, I hung up the phone. I was so worried. For three full days, I worried. Finally, he called. He confessed that he was really in a detox unit where he stayed those three days. He knew he had a problem and he promised to never drink again. When my parents found out, all I can remember is the two of them yelling and screaming at me, telling me over and over that he was a drunk, that he didn't love me, that all he wanted was alcohol. The way they reacted only made me shut down, pushing me away from them. I knew they were wrong. Jean did love me. The day that Jean was discharged, his mother was having a family dinner, so I went, thinking we would discuss Jean and his time in detox. I needed to understand what was really going on. We all sat around the table. His sisters, Barbara and Eileen, were there too, along with Aunt Grace. My face was still red from all the crying I had done. His family talked about the Yankees, football, and other mundane topics. Not one mention was made of the detox. Not one. I felt like I wanted to scream. The elephant in the room was getting larger and larger. I choked down my dinner with each bite. I was afraid to bring up the subject. I felt it was Gene or his mom's place to do this. In my mind, I compared the two different family scenarios in dealing with this. On one hand was my family yelling and screaming. On the other hand, Jean's family was passing the dinner rolls with polite conversation. It became clear that I would have to figure this out on my own. I left that night more confused than ever. The next day, Jean and I talked. He promised not to drink again, and he asked me to support him through this difficult time. He told me he loved me, and I knew I loved him, so we began this journey of no drinking together. I was very supportive and pleased that we had gotten through this obstacle together, which made us even closer. For the next year, Gene did not drink, but I did not understand that his disease was not being addressed, just ignored. Our relationship was getting better, and we were happy. I was still working as a diet tech, and Gene had begun selling cars. We got engaged and started planning our future. My parents were not happy. In fact, the night of our engagement, they went at us for over an hour, telling us how this would never work, how we would never be able to support any children, and how this was the worst decision that we could ever make. I left the house in tears. As I was getting into the car, I looked over and saw Gene heading back toward the house. I followed him, nervous and unsure of what to expect. He walked inside and told my parents what they had just done to me was wrong. He said this was our night and they should not have ruined it for us. If they had concerns, they should discuss them, not just scream at us about how we would never make it. I stood there amazed that he had spoken up and so proud that he did. I knew without a doubt that I was marrying this man. We set a date for April 14th, 1985.
Two months before the wedding, tragedy struck. Jean stopped by his mother's house on a Sunday morning when she had not answered the phone. A birthday dinner for her at Grace's home had been planned for later that day. When he walked in, he saw her. She was laying at the bottom of the stairs, dead. She had apparently tripped and fallen down the stairs, and at some time during the night, we were all devastated, especially Jean and his sisters, Barbara and Eileen. Their father had died when Jean was just 11 years old. Now their mother was gone too. It was a very difficult and sad time. I wanted to cancel the wedding and just elope, but Eileen, Barbara, and Grace talked us out of it. They said their mom would have been so disappointed if we did that. She was happy for us and would have wanted the wedding to go on as planned. So we had our wedding. Walking down that aisle, I had no doubt that this was right. After the wedding, we bought his mother's house. It was left to Jean and his sisters, so we just bought out their shares. At first, I did not want to live there. I wanted a fresh start, not the home where his mother had just died. Jean really had to convince me. The home had been in the family since 1954. It was now a two-family house converted after his dad died. We agreed to live there for maybe two years, and then we'd buy a new home together. For the next year, Jean and I settled into married life. We worked, went out, spent time with our many friends, and we truly enjoyed being together. Jean was still not drinking, and we were happily planning for the next step, a baby. Wow, those early days had a lot of action. Let's talk about it a little bit. Do you remember when we first met? Oh, I can never forget that. It was my first weekend on the job. I got there on a Sunday morning. You were sound asleep in my office. And when I woke you up, you got on the phone to call your bookie. I was sound asleep. You sure I wasn't just drowsy? Oh, no, there was snoring involved. Uh, I guess I didn't make a great first impression. No, not really. But at the time, you were just a co-worker. I certainly didn't look at you and say, that's the man I'm going to marry. <laughs> What'd you think of me? I thought you were cute, but a little bit young. Yes, I was cute and I was young. I was only 21 and there's a seven-year age difference between us. But we had a lot of fun on that job. We did. It was a great group of co-workers, and we would go out for happy hours and to each other's homes for game night, and it was a great environment. That's how we became friends. But it turned out we had the same days off, and we started doing a lot of things together, just the two of us. We did a lot of skiing together, and that's when our friendship took a turn towards romance. But there were some red flags popping up. You know, I was drinking a lot back then. Not only when I was with you, there was also a lot you didn't see. Well, how can I see it? I came from a very strict and controlling family. We rarely had company. I still had a curfew at 21 years old. I had no idea what you were doing after you dropped me off. I had no conception of drinking issues or alcoholism before we met. So all of this was new to me. Obviously, I didn't understand it fully either. In the reading, you talked about my family being so welcoming, and we were, but we were also willing to look the other way when one of our lives was affected by alcohol. That was indeed our blind spot. So let's get to the part where you went into the hospital detox. Okay. Yeah, as much as my denial back then wanted to call it something different. Like the high blood pressure. Like high blood pressure. It was a detox, and unfortunately, it would not be my last. Since we've been talking about the different ways that our families react to situations, 
This is a great example. Oh, yeah. My family totally had an I told you so attitude. All they would do was yell and scream and tell me this was proof that you didn't care for me. All this made living at home unbearable, and they made me doubt my own feelings. I guess in hindsight, my clan wasn't a lot of comfort either. Well, nobody was talking about what we had just been through. I just felt alone. I didn't feel like I had any direction or guidance. I love my family, but there has always been denial. I think we talked about that in the first episode, too. Nobody was willing to call out what was going on with me. I guess we all just hoped that it was a bad stretch and my life would straighten out eventually. But I did stop drinking for a couple of years after that. Yeah, but we were still smoking pot and we thought that was okay. You weren't drinking. It seemed more manageable. Yeah, life was good and we were saving money having a good time planning for the future, and spending time with friends. But let me add right here that marijuana is not a good remedy for alcoholism under any circumstances. Let's move on to our engagement night. Oh, man, do we have to? See, there's the thing. Here we are 40 years or so later, and you still look back on that night with resentment and anger. Yeah, I thought I was over it, but then when we started going over the chapter for this episode, it does bring it back again, and it still hurts. Yeah. That should have been our night. I'm their daughter. My parents made it so difficult. We're all set to go to our favorite restaurant and celebrate our engagement, and as soon as you walked in to pick me up, they started in on both of us how it would never work, and how we were so wrong for each other. Yeah, it was an ambush. But let's not forget, when I went to your dad weeks earlier to let him know about our plans, he didn't present any objections then. No, they saved all that for our engagement night. It wasn't pretty for sure. What did you think when I stormed back into the house after we left? I was so nervous because first I thought you and my dad were going to come to blows. But I saw you confront them and defend me. I was stunned because no one ever came to my defense before. No one. Well, something had to be said. So I guess I was your knight in shining armor. Yes, you were. And I have to admit, it was a bit of a turn on. Whoa, baby. Whoa, baby. <laughs> so we set a date, April 14th, 1985. We're engaged for about a year. We later came to learn that April 14th was an infamous day in history. Yes, it was. It was the day Lincoln was shot, the Titanic went down, and the first shots of the Civil War were fired at Fort Sumter. Yep, all on the same day, and we were married. Maybe we should have done a little research. Well, how could we? There was no Google back then. Yeah, we've really come to rely on Google, that's for sure. (laughs) What did we do before that? I guess we looked up in the encyclopedia. We probably did nothing, (laughs) because I know I wouldn't have looked at things up. (laughs) Hey, let's talk about the year that led up to our wedding. It was a rough year. It was not an easy engagement. My parents fought me at every step of the planning, from venue to invitations to the guest list. Everything was a fight. Yeah, there was so much friction. There was. I remember thinking, we could get through the engagement. Our marriage would be a breeze. Clear sailing, open seas. Smooth <laughs> <Move> sailing. <laughs> no, it didn't turn out that way. Nope. Then just nine weeks before the wedding, tragedy struck when my mother passed away. Yeah, I remember you called and told me, and I left immediately to be with you. It was a freak accident, a fall down the stairs, and I'm the one that found her. That, of course, sent shockwaves through us all. Nobody saw it coming. All our wedding plans were put on hold for a week until we got through the services. 
We didn't know how we were going to go forward. No. I just wanted to elope. It had been such a rough year. But my family convinced us to go ahead with it. You know, they told me that's how my mother would have wanted it. Remember what happened the day before the wedding? Sure do. There was a fire in the kitchen at the venue. Oh, yeah. How did they handle the food again if the kitchen was destroyed? Well, they cooked it somewhere else and brought it over. Yeah, I forgot about all of that. It turned out delicious. And let's also not forget about the singer at the church who arrived without all the music we planned. Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis and a couple of other really special songs that we wanted to be part of a wedding. We thought a lot about that. Yeah, so much for the two-hour meeting we had with her the week before. How could she forget that? (laughs) I don't know. But she did feel terrible. Yeah, well, not so terrible that she didn't want to get paid. (laughs) Yeah, we paid her. After that, it all turned out to be a great day. We missed my mom, but we knew that somehow, some way, she was there with us. Yeah, that's a theme that would play out again in our lives many years later. We had a great reception. There was a lot of dancing, and I think everyone had a good time. Yeah. The next day, we headed off to our first honeymoon and vacation together. That's right, skiing in Vail, Colorado. So now we're married, and a couple months later, we bought the house. We learned the trials and tribulations of being a landlord. You were not drinking. We had a great group of friends, many who were recently married. and Life was good. So there you have it, folks, the short version of how we began our life together. What would you say is the overall theme of our discussion today, Chris? I think that when you meet and fall in love with someone and plan a future, in our case anyway, entire families became involved. I would think that's the case with a lot of people out there. Family dynamics bring good and bad energies to the relationship. I am very lucky that I was taken in unconditionally by your family throughout whatever obstacles or difficulties we went through. You know, I appreciate you saying that, but you are as much a part of the family as any of us. That's the meaning of marriage, right? Yeah. As much as I understand the angst your folks may have felt towards me, I never felt they were willing to accept me. I was always an outsider to them, and that part was hard. It is hard. I always felt like I was an outsider to them, too, so I get that. But I appreciate you not making it any harder. No matter what, you showed up when you were supposed to, to dinners, every Christmas, and you just kept trying. I did it because I love you, and as difficult as it was, I may have not have been the easiest person for your folks to embrace back then. I did have some baggage. Everybody has some baggage. But in hindsight, I can understand their concerns. But with what I know now, I would handle the situation differently. How so? Well, if our children had a drinking problem or loved someone with a problem, the first thing I would do is tell them that I love them and that I support them a thousand percent. I would recommend Alcoholics Anonymous or Al-Anon and let them know that they're not alone. So you might have been willing to accept well-meaning, loving advice if it was presented in the right way? Definitely, definitely. I was young. I was 22 years old. I had no idea what alcoholism was. I just knew that I loved you. I needed an education about this disease, and I also needed support. I know that if I had found a program earlier, it would have saved you, our kids, and myself a lot of pain. Oh, I'm sure, but that's just not the way our story went. 
And you have to wonder how many relationships don't survive the clash of families. I am sure there are a lot. As we were talking about this episode and our thoughts for it, we talked to friends. Many of them agreed how stressful family interference can be in a marriage. Yeah, we are hardly family counselors, but we certainly have some ideas based on our own experiences. Here are some of the things we would have done differently and some of the things we think we did okay with. In hindsight, my side of the family had issues with denial. There's no doubt about that. But thankfully, we have come a long way since those early days in that regard. It is so important to face issues and not hide them under the rug. Get them out in the open. But in fairness, that takes practice and time. Yes. And as far as my side of the family goes, I always put their wishes first and gave in to their demands. That's why when you stood up to them on our engagement, it was so important to me. I should have set appropriate boundaries and putting our interest above theirs, but unfortunately, I never did. As we sum up, I think it may be fair to ask, can any young couple be equipped to deal with any of these challenges are they only overcome by experience? Well, no question experience is the greatest teacher. But if sharing our experience can be of even the slightest help, our efforts have been worthwhile. Well, I hope so. Is there anything else you can think of that would have made life a little bit easier back then? Definitely. We should have invested in cell phones and bottled water. That's for sure. Maybe Google, too. <laughs> You're not kidding. Oh, well, Chris, one more time before we say goodbye, could you tell the folks about our book? Yes, Live, Laugh, Fly by Christina McMurray. It's available on Amazon, and 100% of proceeds will benefit children's cancer programs. And one last note, if you heard something on today's podcast that you're related to, or would just like to add a thought to our conversation, please leave a note in the show notes down below. And we will talk about it on our next episode, Absolutely. hopefully. We love hearing from all you guys. Love hearing from you. So that's it. We did it again. Well, yeah, but before we leave, I would like to just remind everybody that love never dies. Love never dies. Thank you for Thanks listening. Thanks for listening and being there. Bye. Bye. She is sure.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.